tarnished to the extent of accusations of incest and murder, a boon to caricaturists. With their wigs, pockmarks, gluttony and gout, not even ornamental. With hindsight, they would be regarded as a nadir for Britain's monarchy. A race of small German breast-bestarred wanderers, as anti-monarchist MP Charles Bradlaugh later described the Hanoverians. For the high-minded, if alarmist Prince Albert, they would provide an enduring cautionary tale. Of the seven possible progenitors in the aftermath of Charlotte's death, William, Edward and Adolphus responded to the siren call of a regal vacancy and an anxious parliament prepared to barter their debts for an heir. Frederick and Ernest were already married. Hastily, they allied themselves to a trio of uninspiring Protestant German princesses. All lacked even the misplaced high spirits of the regent's estranged wife. In April 1819, it was Adolphus's wife, Augusta, Duchess of Cambridge, who gave birth to a healthy son. He was christened George. For seven weeks, this infant prince of Cambridge was alone eligible in his generation to inherit the throne of England. But Adolphus was the youngest of the married brothers. Senior in precedence were William, Duke of Clarence, later William IV, described after his death as not a prince of brilliant and commanding talents. Edward, Duke of Kent, of Martinet stiffness, black-dyed hair, surprising philanthropy and tender-hearted devotion to his bride, and Ernest, Duke of Cumberland, emaciated, charmless and acerbic, but more sensitive than history has allowed to his status as England's most hated man. And so, from the outset, Alexandrina Victoria of Kent was a person of consequence. Born as dawn broke over the southeast corner of Kensington Palace on the 24th of May, 1819, in a room whose costly refurbishment her 51-year-old father had completed only two days previously, she immediately displaced her Cambridge cousin in the line of succession. Sources disagree on when she herself first learnt it. An aura of consequence, occasionally cultivated, occasionally insisted upon, was an attribute she would never lose. She would become one of England's most vigorous monarchs. As a baby, her father described her as a model of strength, more of a pocket Hercules than a pocket Venus. Perhaps something of the urgency and precariousness of that scramble which preceded her birth remained with her lifelong. It is discernible in her later conviction of her own eminence, her retreat behind that impenetrable shield, Queen of England, she may not have forgotten that her queenship was so nearly that of her older cousin Charlotte, or indeed young George. At different levels, hers is the response of the lottery-winning poor relation, and, at the same time, simply one manifestation of a remarkably forceful nature. Over time, much of her public life, with its parade of accessible virtues, represented a deliberate revision of the indignity of her prehistory and the tattered record of her immediate forebears. Fanciful to claim that she was born to write the record, her selfishness and sense of entitlement were equal to those of any of her father's siblings. But guided by those nearest to her, and prompted by the memory of uncles and aunts set on lives of eighteenth-century excess, 
as well as her own impulsive, if inconsistent, craving to exploit her position for good, she would redefine the face and function of British monarchy. She embraced an outlook some have labelled middle class, and did so with wholehearted sincerity, as much a stranger to real middle class moors as she was to those of the aristocracy she mistrusted or the highland tenantry she determinedly idealised. Victoria's reign reasserted and successfully bequeathed to her successors what her contemporary, Mrs. Oliphant, described as that tradition of humdrum virtue established by her grandfather, George III. In that respect, she became in fact, as well as appearance, as Lady Granville described her in her infancy, Le Roy Georges in petticoats. Plump as a partridge, this child whom J.M. Barry memorialised in Peter Pan in Kensington Gardens as the most celebrated baby of the gardens.